Hi, and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. My name is Isabel Ross, and I'm the coach at Peak Endurance Coaching. Episode 77 is an interview with Tristan Miller. In 2010, Melbourne man Tristan entered the record books when he became the first person to complete 52 marathons in 52 weeks. He had sold virtually everything he owned to fund his $120,000 42-country globe-trotting marathon, which included all seven continents. Along the way, he clocked up more than 260,000 kilometres in the air and raised funds for charities UNICEF and Facing Africa. During his courageous or insane, depending on your point of view, and epic journey, Tristan ran in all the major international marathons, including New York, London, Berlin and Tokyo, and also found himself in Rwanda, Mongolia, Siberia, Morocco and Northern Ireland, Cuba and the Cayman Islands, to just name a few. He even ran across the frozen fields of Antarctica. Tristan had started running six years earlier following a divorce. He found that running long distances gave him a sense of achievement and the courage to try other things he had never previously dreamed of doing. The catalyst for his big trip came in 2009 when his employer Google closed its Melbourne office during the global financial crisis. With no attachments, he decided to go and see the world. This interview is this story of his. Can I ask you a favour? Would you be able to go on over to Apple Podcasts to rate, review and subscribe? This helps more people find the podcast and thus helps the podcast grow and I would greatly appreciate that. As we look towards racing in 2021, it's a good idea to ensure your body is in good working order and ready to sustain all that training and racing. If you have any kinds of niggles or injuries, now is the time to sort them out. If this sounds like you, head to the experts at Health and High Performance where, utilising the latest in technology and experience, they can help you reach your running performance goals. Find them at healthhp.com.au forward slash run or on Instagram, healthhighperformance. I don't know about you, but I'm really looking forward to getting back to racing. And to be ready for when this happens, you need to be working not only on making sure your body is ready with health and high performance, but on getting stronger, fitter and faster. And now you can do this with a structured and well-planned training program with Peak Endurance Coaching. Email me, Isabel, at peakendurancecoaching.com.au and let's get your training moving in the right direction. Enjoy my chat with Tristan. Hi, Tristan, and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. Thanks so much, Isabel. Happy to be here. Um, can you tell the listeners a bit about yourself and how you got into running? Uh, yeah. Um, like I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm an old runner now. Once upon a time, I was not. Uh, you know, like I, uh, I started running as a post-divorce, uh, you know, escape piece, I guess. Like, to be honest, I was drinking far too heavily and escaping into a bottle until a mate of mine that I was working with at 3AW Radio in Melbourne, he he kind of threw me a lifeline, got me out for a run and started me back into kind of the healing process, I guess, of kind of adding some self-worth back into my life. And and that was at the grand old age of 28 into 29. And so uh, that's now about 15 years ago, which is crazy because I didn't think I'd be running for more than, you know, more than a few Ks very often until I sort of really got the, the, the habit fit into me. And then I kind of realised ongoing the great value of that. And so, yeah, I continued to run, um, you know, and started, you know, ran my first marathon in 2005 and subsequently run some 86, 87 marathons, kind of lost count, to be honest, and about 30 ultras. So I kind of enjoy the ultras. 
these days probably more than the marathons yeah. but i've got this nagging thing about doing you know the hundred mar- official marathons it's kind of been bugging me for a while so um. i'd really get that done as well unfortunately this year i have made no dent <laughs> no, no progress on that one i'm sure yeah sadly for anybody yep yeah so some people might know the fact that i ran 52 marathons in 52 weeks um, back in 2010. Uh, so I was 33 at that time. I've been running for some, you know, five or six years back in 2010. Uh, and I wrote a book called Run Like Crazy. So it came out back in 2012, did pretty well, sold about yep. sort of 9,000 copies or something like that, which is oh, good, awesome. not great. Uh, no, no, but that's good. Yeah. yeah, and it got translated into uh, Chinese as well, which is kind oh, of Oh, cool. wow. You know, that's cool. Can't read it. Do you have a copy of the Chinese one? Oh, awesome. (laughs) The funniest thing about that is the guy on the front cover is not me. Oh, seriously? Yeah. They took a guy (laughs) that looked a little maybe Eurasian and chucked Ah. him on the front cover. Well, I suppose they wanted to appeal to a different, um, you know, ethnic group, I guess. So that's fair enough. And yeah, um, so, so yes, that's what I wanted to talk to you was uh, about was the 52 marathons in 52 weeks. What made you decide to do that? Because you'd obviously, obviously been running, like you said, for five years by that stage. So yeah. what prompted you to do that? Um, you know, it's really easy to say I had this kind of light bulb moment and I decided that running around the world would be fantastic. And I mean, in parts, that's true. But, uh, but I think any big idea like that is a culmination of a bunch of ideas. Mm-hmm. So you don't set out with this singular kind of purpose and idea to do this one thing. You usually have a bunch of ideas and then find like a, not necessarily a compromise, just an evolution of that. Yeah. And so in 2009, uh, kind of 2008, 2009, I was actually working, uh, I moved out of radio and got, in, I got a job at Google. And so I was working there um, for a couple of years and then the global economic crisis was in full effect um, mm. and they shut the Melbourne office, which was a shock to me because we were making a ton of cash. Yeah. But, um, but they shut that office. I was out of a job along with, you know, the sort of 15 people in that office. Um, my response was to run more. So I'd already been training for Comrades, the famous uh, yes. 90K race in Africa. Yep. And so... I just kept on running and ran, you know, over in South Africa with a number of my friends. And as we were doing all the training for that, like we, we did the Canberra Marathon that year in 2009. Um, and when I was running, I kept on talking to my mates about, imagine like all these Ks that we're doing, you know, 50, 60 K runs on a Saturday as just part of our training. Imagine if you wow. started to do some like, you know, like like product reviews and stuff like that. I mean, we're doing a lot of cases. So mm-hmm. we're testing our watches, we're testing our shoes, we're doing all that kind of stuff. Maybe we should start putting that stuff on YouTube because I was working at Google at the time, you know, I was like, maybe this is the kind of stuff that we should be doing. And, um, and we played around with it and talked about traveling to different places. And then we went and did this race in South Africa. And then I was just mind blown. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh my God, this is what it's like to do a really famous international race. Um, you know, 90 Ks in South Africa with people lining the road for basically yeah. that whole thing. Um, I was super inspired, had a really great adventure, decided that if I had to go back and just get another job, um, that wouldn't advance my personal self-worth. It would just be getting another job to replace my great job at Google. Mm. And so I decided to do something different. Um, and, and it wasn't like 
I'm doing this, that's it. It was like, I'm going to go home and mull this over and plan it out and decide if it's possible. And um, that's not actually how I tell it when I do my public speaking. I usually go, and then I decided I went running to go running around the world. Yeah. It's just way too much to kind of process that, you'd, you know, you have to say no to the next job that comes up. Yeah. You have to decide that you're going to commit and where are you going to get that money. I mean, it was a global economic crisis, so I couldn't get money from other people. I had to come up with my own money. So I had to sell my apartment. So I put that on the market and hoped that I'd get a decent profit out of it to pay for well, this. And, and, and you probably weren't going to get the full value at that time either, would you? No, I mean, actually, surprisingly, got more than I expected. Oh, so, no, but yeah, so that was good. That turned out pretty well. Um, having said that, uh, yeah, the world was coming apart at the scene. So mm. Could I just justify travelling the world and spending all my money when everyone's yeah. trying to save their money for their future? Um, at that time, I was pseudo-single. I had a girlfriend uh, over in, you know, from Japan that was living in the UK and She'd kind of broken up with me, so I kind of used that as my excuse to kind of, oh, well, whatever, I've got nothing yeah. to lose here. And then, of course, while I was training to leave, I met someone else, and then I kind of had to oh, part that. Oh, no. Yeah. So all of those things culminated in me just making a few personal sacrifices to decide that for just one year. And I reckon if I couldn't time box it, that would make it even harder. But because I could say this is just 12 months of your life, yeah. this time go and make a massive uh, effort to make this the greatest year of your life. Um, record what you can, turn it into a good story, come back and then go back to life. And if it doesn't work out, that's okay because it's my money, it's my yeah. responsibility, it's on me. Um, and it was, I would say in 2005, probably not possible because we didn't have the technology or Wi-Fi or smartphones yeah. or any of that kind of stuff in place to make it happen easily. Like hostel world and hostel bookers like online systems like that um i use a sky scanner you know for that yes. whole year to book flights and find the best yeah. flights all that. none of that existed for my uh wi-fi easy access wi-fi siberia this was not a thing i mean there weren't even hostels inside I, I found the first hostel in in a place called tomsk which is this tiny town in the middle of siberia like they weren't hostels before that you know so yeah. you know like it's so many things just seemed to be, it was the right time for it. And I would say five years later, it would have been easier to do. But at that time, it was just accessible yeah. enough to make it. So, yeah. And so I got going. It was amazing. And how did you choose which um, marathons you were doing and which countries and that sort of thing? Um, so in when I did the Canberra Marathon in 2009, I found uh, I had this... Um, uh, this marathon mag magazine, oh, I, can't, I can't remember what it's even called. I'm having like just a bit of a brain fade, but it was basically distance magazine that they'd give out at the uh, at all the events. Yeah, but um, in the middle of it, it had all the official uh, marathon, um, like the measured marathons. I can't even remember who does the measurements now. I used to remember all this oh, stuff. Okay, it was yeah. 10 years and so they had all the officially kind of qualified marathon and half marathon distances. Yep. And it was a calendar right in the middle. And I'm looking at all these different races from around the world going, whoa, you could kind of do one of these a week, right? And just see the entire world. Um, little did I know that there was like way, way, way more marathons than were listed in this, uh, in this um, uh, mag. So I went and found a, a website called Marathon dot a hot to a h o t u dot com oh yes and, i know uh, that one yeah and it's this incredible resource of you know like uh it's a calendar of events but it also lets you filter 
And yeah. so I went through and filtered all the best events that I could think of all around the world. Um, and then I laid them out. I don't know, like it, it's much more, it's much easier to access now, but you used to have to download a program for Google Earth. And I just put all these pins on this program. And my, I swear to God, my computer was going to blow up the amount of kind of <laughs> process. But I put all these pins and tried to work out, can I put all these pins all around the world? And do it week by week and structure it out that way. And that was about a month worth of work of me trying to figure out which races would fit. And then all of that was a lot of guesswork because I was planning that based on all the, the events that were in effect in 2009. And they hadn't even planned the events for 2010 because yeah. you hadn't got through 2009. So I was kind of taking a lot of guesswork into, into uh, play as to which races we'd work out to which weeks around abouts. And so once that year came around, 2010, and all the races had been slotted in, I just had to adjust a couple to make it work. Yeah. But I wanted to do all the famous ones, all, you know, the, well, it was the, you know, the five majors at a time, you know, the six majors. Um, you know, Boston, London, you know, Tokyo, all that kind of stuff, Berlin. Um, I wanted to go to all the really outlandish ones, like the Great Wall, the China Marathon. And, you know, I wanted to go to places like, uh, the, you know, Mongolia and do a race and, you know, go and see the pyramids and do a race and go to, uh, go to the, to Easter Island, see the Moai. So all of those sorts of, you know, the Rapa Nui Marathon, how do I fit that in and still get to all these different places? <laughs> Um, and you know, like it would have, it was a stretch idea to go to somewhere like, um, Antarctica and do a race down there, but you know, I put it as a possible. And so that's how I laid it out and kind of made it work. Seemed to just slowly put it together and I had to just be a bit fluid about it towards the end. But. And you were saying that you were using Skyscanner, so you didn't book all your flights beforehand. You were booking them kind of as you went. No. And so... Look, I had a budget. I'd started with a budget of about $80,000 to make it all work. Yeah. Um, in the end, it cost me $120,000, but I started with eighty, and I had $500 a week for flights. And sometimes you just have to wait until the right deal comes up, yeah. you know, or get last-minute flights and last-minute hotel bookings and all that kind of stuff. So it was a very strict budget. And sometimes that was, a, you know, like a, a $50 Ryanair flight, and yeah. sometimes it was a $2,000 flight to three different destinations to get from China to Africa, you know? Yeah. So like it, it was pretty wild, like the way I was getting about. Um, but what I, what I didn't do for better or worse is I didn't have, I didn't use a travel agent because travel agents kept telling me when I spoke to them, oh, this is good, but you're going to have to change your, your race plan to match yeah. what I can get you in a flight without taking into account that I was prepared to do extra flights to get places. Like yeah. I, I didn't mind staying in there for longer. They're like, yeah, but that's not very efficient. This is the way you should do it. And I'm like, I appreciate that. That's going to cost me a fortune. And I'm going to give you 10% of what I have to spend just to book this for me. I've got the time and the tools. I should probably just do that myself. And what I did was made sure that I only booked two to three months in advance. So if something really bad happened to me, um, yeah, you know, good like point. Sick, whatever, yeah. um, then I only lost three months worth of money. Um, yes. But I didn't have, like I had the cheapest flights possible. So basically no insurance on those flights. So yeah. I had travel insurance, but it didn't cover super cheap, dodgy airline, you know, <laughs> in the middle of Russia. I think. So, um, yeah. so I just had to cop a few of those costs in the long run to make sure I stuck to that budget of 500 bucks. And did you do all of that travel on your own? 
No, I had a buddy with me, uh, the, uh, my, my mate, uh, a Kiwi guy called Daz, uh, yeah. for the first few months. And, you know, like anyone that's read my book has kind of reads that, you know, like I was a bit, you know, probably pushy with Darren to get him to do things my way. And he was a bit loose. Like he just mm. kind of saw it as a bit of a party around the world, um, which in all honesty is how I sold it to him. Hey, like we're going to go around the world if you come with me. Um, I'll pay you for your flights and food and all that kind of stuff. Um, I just need you to help me, like, carry my bags, give me a bit of sports massage and go on this journey with me. It was kind of frightening to do that by myself. Like, I yeah. really wanted to go with someone, you know? So, like, mm. I, I was like, a lot to take on just alone. Um, so, I thought it'd be a great idea. Uh, you know, he'd been travelling a fair bit. Um, I, I kind of talked him into coming with me. And I, I sold him something different to what it was. In the end, I didn't realise how hard it was going to be. Um, and so as it got really hard and I was fatigued all the time, I'm asking him to do more. And actually he just kind of was a bit stressful for him. He's like, oh, I just thought we we're going to have fun. And this isn't fun, you know, this is work. Um, and so I got in his case a bunch of times and he got jack of it and he kind of tossed it in, in April. Um, and then I just kind of had to suck it up and go it alone because I was like, now I'm doing this. I'm not going to stop doing this. Yeah. So, and which was great because a lot of people come to, came to meet me from, you know, friends from Australia. Yeah. Uh, and then I made a lot of friends. It's shocking how many people are just on the marathon circuit somewhere. Oh, really? You know? Yeah, like amazing, especially in Europe. Like a lot of people doing multiple marathons through a year. Um, and the US, like people just tour the US doing marathons every year. And there's these outfits like the Marathon Maniacs and yes, people like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, who just do multiple marathons and they're trying to fit them into a year. Um, and everyone's like, cool, you can come and join our club because you've yeah. done lots and lots of marathons. I'm like, kind of got my brand. You know what I mean? Run like crazy. Yeah. So trying to kind of turn this into potentially something I get to hold on to after this year. Yeah. So I don't really want to be dragged into your group, but I do want to be all your friends and I want to meet you with different races and I want to say hi, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that was really cool for me because I did meet numerous people who then actually a few of them even planned their next race to come and hang out. Yeah, awesome. Um, that was awesome, you know? It was yeah. like incredible. And, uh, and I met, uh, well, I met up with a girl that I knew from Melbourne who came to Pamplona um, in uh, in uh July, I guess, Pamplona in Spain, met up with her in London, girl from Melbourne. She travelled to Spain with me, we did the running of the bulls. Um, and then she stuck with me for a few days and uh, she's now my wife. Oh, um, that's a great story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so we, we would sort of knew each other a little bit back home and then uh, when she came over, we hit it off and then, you know, one thing led to another and we stayed in touch for the rest of the year and, you know, everything else is history. That's brilliant, yeah. All right, and so with the, all that travel, because that's a lot of travel you're doing every week, how did you recover from that and be able to run? Yeah, look, I had all these incredible kind of, this incredible advice from people about how to recover and look after yourself. And, you know, look, I, I kind of had some intuition around it because I travelled and run yeah. big comrades and, you know, was running every week quite a long way. To be fair, you know, in my training for comrades, I was doing way more Ks a week than I did doing the events the following year. Um, you know, I was easily doing 100Ks a week, like easily 100, 120Ks a week without thinking about it in mm. 2008 into 2009. Um, and then in 2010, you know, some weeks I'd do, you know, 50 kilometres. Like I did a 42K run and I'd do one or two other short runs just to check my stuff. 
And yeah. other weeks I'd do 180 kilometers because I'd do a 100K race and a couple of other races and I'd just end up doing a lot of Ks. So it was really mixed bag. Um, and so, but the year before, because I had all this kind of, what I would say, experience, um, you know, I kind of knew what to do to look after myself. Uh, I got all this really great advice, diet plans, all this other stuff. Most of it seemed great until I was out there. And then, you know, I couldn't get the food that was listed in my, you know, in my diet plan. Uh, I was avoiding um, plain food because I'd kind of been warned that it's just not really that good for you, you know, and probably wouldn't help and you should just eat a bit better when you get off the plane, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I just started losing weight, like, like so much weight. Like I just, you know, I, I, like I think like if, if you remember, you know, your back at, backpacking experiences, you tend to kind of get lean, not because you don't eat, you're just moving all the time. Yeah. And so I was moving all the time and walking around these different cities and doing all this different stuff. And I was just kind of snacking along the way, but, you know, probably not fueling in the right way. And then I'd do race after race after race. So even though I wasn't doing the same number of Ks that I would have done a year ago, I was doing them as races. So I was taking mm. a huge toll on my body. Um, and so after a while, I was just getting diminished, you know. Like I ran six marathons in six countries in January 2010. And wow. travelled as well and didn't eat any of the plain food. And so I was just kind of starving, you know. And a month later, after I'd been in Tokyo, etc., um, I just kind of ditched the plan and I just yeah. started getting basics. Um, like, okay, I'm going to eat, uh, as soon as I finish a race, I'm going to relax. I'm going to have a few beers. I'm going to celebrate my win. And then the next day I'm going to be pretty conscious of what I eat, um, eat some, you know, fish and meat and all that kind of stuff. Try to get my protein up as much as possible. Um, I get bags of brown rice or natural rice because you could get that in most places you yeah. know brown rice is an easy thing to come by and it's got a fair bit of nutrient value etc as well so i'd carry a bag of rice through various airports until they took it off me and then i'd go and get another bag of rice you know um and so that kind of stuff was a nice subsistence thing to have um eating lots of tin tuna and all that kind of stuff along the way and then by the end of the week i Kind of load up on pasta and then I go and destroy myself and then I get back into the process. So yeah. it was a pretty simple plan, but I could execute it easily. And that kind of leveled me off. And in fact, I got sick in the middle of the year, um, really sick after I, I was in, uh, sorry, in Mongolia. Mm. One of the rules of going to Mongolia is anyone that eats in Mongolia gets sick in Mongolia. It's just how it is. You just eat, you're like you think it's a great restaurant, you eat something and then you're sick for three days. In my case, I was sick for nearly two weeks. Oh, wow. Um, and still running, yeah. So I lost a lot of weight um, and I got down to about 64 kilos. And I'm Ooh. 73 kilos now, so like I'm not, you know. Like not yeah. And you're lean now, so yeah. Yeah, I think I'm lean now. So, mm. so that was like a bit of a shock to my system. But, but generally speaking, I had that, you know, I'd sit somewhere around 68 kilos and I could maintain that and still travel and eat correctly. And did you start eating the plain food? Yeah, yeah. Like it was going out of fashion. Like I was asking for the second round. You know what I mean? Can I have some more? Please? You know, I was that guy. Um, but yeah. And, and apart from that, the only other real recovery kind of routine that I had in the first three or four months, apart from lots of stretching and stuff like that, like I spent two weeks of time, two, in, like if you, I can't remember the number of hours it was, but I worked it out to two weeks worth of hours out of 52 weeks was spent in transit at an airport. Oh. So I had lots of time between flights 
trying to get from, because I didn't, like, the, my flights really bounced to different parts of the world. And, um, and so I instead went to, um, like, like, I realised I could just do lots of stretching and exercise standing around because I didn't know anyone and I didn't really yeah. care what people thought of me anyway, right? So I was doing, like, lots of just lunges and little workouts and stuff like that to stretch out my body. And, um, and the only other thing that I did was I religiously tried to have an ice bath after a marathon, which was really, really hard to do in places like Egypt where they just don't have ice, you know? So it's like things like that seem like a great idea until I couldn't do it. But I, I realised that like when I started the year, it would take me four days to recover from a marathon. Like by Wednesday, if I ran on Saturday or Sunday, by Wednesday I could start to move again and feel normal. Um, and slowly that became Tuesday and then it became Monday and then it became like eight hours after a run. I was pretty good. Oh, wow. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was pretty surprising how quickly I started to recover. And so I would say that phased out the ice baths. I just didn't have a requirement anymore. And so yeah. it was just a time thing to do after you've had a run to go find ice and put it in the bath. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would be a bit of a hassle and, and it's uh, amazing how quickly the body conditions itself to to that kind of training and racing basically isn't it yeah shocking shocking but anyone that's like trained for you know like like there's plenty of people that have done multi-day races right um you know have you done it yourself isabel like the multi uh well i've only done one like three-day race but yeah i tend to do ultras yeah so yeah by day three your body just kind of falls into a rhythm do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, so any of those sorts of like, I've done a few of those like Trans Alpine, which is an eight day race over the mountains in Austria and, you know, UTMB and all that kind of stuff. Like, like you sort of get to a stage where you just, your body just starts to get, that it has to just keep going no matter what you kind of expected it, what yeah. it wants to do. Um, and so I think you condition quickly because your brain has got there and your body catches up. So yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, always, I'm, I'm always, I'm always a, I just, I love the human body as in, I think it's just such an amazing machine that we, you know, that we have, that we're so, we can do all these things. But we pilot them. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. We pilot that machine. That's and right. And so, you know, and I think that's like an incredible thing to have the, the mental strength to tell your body to keep going when mm. everything in your body is screaming stop. And yeah. yet it can it just like all the pain signals just stop because you're just not listening to them anyway. So yeah. your body just, oh, I'm just going to turn off the pain signals. It's yeah. A waste. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I bet during like you said, you did UTMB. Um, I bet you, did you get a lot of that telling yourself to stop during that one? I destroyed my calf by 80 kilometers <laughs> and that was less than halfway. Yeah. So, you know, so I expected to do, I was thinking 34 hours, you know, mm. pretty big target, but, you know, something I thought I could achieve, like I was yeah. running pretty well. I had the experience doing Transalpine the year before. I kind of knew what was in store for me. Um, went out, I think, pretty strong. I was doing pretty yeah. well. Um, rolled my ankle. Uh, mm. um, rolled, yeah, so I didn't do my calf, I did my ankle. So I rolled my ankle at 60K, 70K, then 80K. <laughs> and at 80K, it blew up. And, you know, like once it's weak, right, like it doesn't yes. matter, you're trying to run on trails, you just know you're going to flip it again. Um, 
And so, yeah, once it blew up and they would only give me aspirin. And, I mean, it's the right thing to do. You can't yeah, have any of yeah. and all that stuff. Um, yeah, so I remember there was a moment where I was sitting on the side of the mountain in the UTMB um, and I was sitting on the side that you go right around. So you're looking at, you know, Mont Blanc quite a bit. Yep. Um, I was sitting there looking at it going, well, I could stop. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. this is really uncomfortable and I'm just hobbling and I'm not really running anymore. And this is going to take me a super long time to get through the rest of this race. I could stop, but it's a new day and there's a mountain in front of me and I'm here now. And yeah. so I could, you know, I, re I remember recording. I don't think I ever really shared it to the world, but I recorded this little video going, there's the mountain. Here I am. If I give up, they take me down there. If I stay, keep going in the race, I get to stay up here. So I'm just going to stay up here and keep going until they tell me to go up and down. Yeah. And that's it. It took me 44 hours and I missed the cutoff by like two hours or something. Oh. <laughs> I, I was within the cutoff. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Because I was going to say, I'm sure I've heard of other people doing it around that time and they were happy with that time. But I know you were probably aiming for something different. But yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was happy to finish. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm not a very good ultra runner. Like, I tend to, you know, I've run a couple of sub three marathons, but anytime I go and do ultras, I tend to kind of, you know, have an okay race, but mm. not not hit the numbers that I expected to. Yeah. That hasn't stopped me. I do yeah. tend to enjoy doing 100K races and 100 mile races yeah. more than any other event because I find it personally a lot more kind of uh, challenging and, and motivating to give it a go. Yeah, yeah. no, no, I, I totally understand that. Um, so in the, the 52 marathons, which one was your favourite? Um, you know, to be honest, like, like my favourites are very much dictated by the general kind of country experience. Um, and so I've got a few. Yep. Uh, I did the, the Tiberias or Tiberia Marathon in uh, Israel. And I had just an incredible experience in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. And like I'm not a religious person in any way, shape or form, but going to Jerusalem and having this kind of, you know, really impactful kind of, you know, it's the convergence and divergence of a whole lot of the religions yeah. that have shaped the world. Um, I, I found it fascinating, you know, and I, I couldn't wait to go back. And I made a bunch of really cool mates there in Israel and stayed in touch as well. It was really fun. Um, so that was a really great experience. Um, I did the, the two oceans in Cape Town. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and I'd done Comrades already, right? So going back to do two oceans, which is the traditional leader, like was a, just an astonishingly cool event to be a part of. And people are just so beautiful down there, you know. Yeah. I mean, look, obviously they had their challenges in South Africa, but, you know, as a tourist, I really wasn't exposed to any of that. I just had yeah. an incredibly good time. Um, and, uh, and then St. Petersburg, the race in St. Petersburg in Russia, like just, I don't know, I was shocked. I had an amazing time. It was a beautiful place. And it was one of my first experiences of Russia. And, you know, like, like you read a lot in the news about, you know, how tough it is in Russia and how terrible Putin is and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is, like, people still just love living and being and all those things. Yeah. And St. Petersburg is a very European city uh, in, you know, in Russia. Um, and it's got the Hermitage, which is kind of like going to the Louvre and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Like, it's an incredible city to go to. And it was in the middle of summer and it was White Nights, the White Nights Marathon. So it was like it never really got dark. Oh, wow. And they had the, the Soccer World Cup on at the time down in South Africa. It was just a great experience. It was really thriving and alive. Yeah. You know, it was, it was super fun. I loved it. Yeah. What about, did you have one that you, you were, like, 
glad to, like it was your least favourite kind of glad to finish it and, and leave? 100%, the Luxor Marathon in Egypt. It was oh. terrible. <laughs> because of the heat? It was like the most poorly organised, oh. like, you know, like, you know, shout out to all my Egyptian friends out there, but like there's a lot of over-promise and under-delivery in <laughs> It's just yeah. out there, right? Um, and uh, it was just a crap event. You started in front of um, this kind of tomb where there'd been a massacre some years oh. before that. There's lots of people with guns around and you start there and you run around past some of the big tombs that are down there, like the, you know, the Valley of the Kings and stuff. But you don't go into the Valley of the Kings. You're just sort of near it and around yeah. it. And you run past these massive monolithic statues, like beautiful big spaces. Um, but then there's all these kids running up trying to ask you for money. Bakshish, bakshish, while you run. And then there's like all these water stations and it was four loops of this course and the course was already off. Within five kilometres, I knew the course was going to be short and I was like, oh, not what I want, you know, like it needs to be 42.2. Yes, that's right. Um, all these things were bugging me and you're basically on the edge of a desert. So like you need those water stations and you do four laps. And by lap number three... The guy that won the race, like, he was already through lap number four. And so they just started dismantling the water stations. And kids oh were just walking off, taking the water. And you're running along going, I've got, still got 10 k's to go, man. I'm just cruising through this, you know. Yeah. Um, and there's plenty of people that were, uh, like, way behind me. Like, I'm not a slow runner, right? So I was probably running a... I don't know, 3.30, 3.40 marathon or something. There was tons of people running five hours and there were no water stations. So, and I ran into the finish line and I turned around and I ran out for about a K or so and then came in and said, that is a marathon distance. Wow, they um, were that short. Yeah, like at least two kilometres. So, That's bad. Um, well, yeah, and I just needed to tick that box. Mm. And, and it's a classic thing, right? It was the off-season in that area. It's a hotel marathon. The hotel puts it on to get some tourists to come and stay mm. at the hotel. I wasn't staying at the hotel. To get my medal, I had to go to the hotel banquet. And I just didn't want to. Mm. Um, so I went back to the hostel I was staying at, and there was five other people saying, uh, saying that they were going off to the Red Sea to go scuba diving uh, and Sharm el-Sheikh and places like that. And I'm like cool, when are you leaving? They're like, in an hour and a half. I'm like, sweet, Dad, let's go get our stuff. And so we got our stuff, we got on the bus and just went, went scuba diving instead, which yeah. made it way, way better. So, <laughs> so you, you never got the medal then? No, never got it. Sent them a bunch of messages asking for my medal, they never sent it to me. Oh, wow. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. So would you ever do something like this again? No? No. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> no. Um, like, it was absolutely the best year of my life. No doubt. My wife hates it when I say that. You know, <laughs> she's like, you know, you've had so many great years with me. We've got two beautiful kids now. Like, all of these, you know, would overshadow in, you know, from, from in terms of life value, yeah. what you did in that year. And I'm like, yeah, but this is my experience of my life. Mm. And it's it, it absolutely over-delivered in every way possible. Like, I just so many things happened that I didn't expect. And it had never been done before, right? So, yeah. like, no one had ever tried to run to a different marathon every week for an entire year and run in a different country every single week. Like, people have done more marathons than that in a year 
um, many times, you know, like many times over. And there's subsequently been a couple of people that have done more different countries in a year, um, but not all seven continents and all countries and, you know, and going as flagrantly far as I did, you know, like it, it's like unachievable to try to emulate that experience. Um, and people have said, would you do it if you had more of a support crew? Would you go faster, you know, and all those things. I, I actually think I'd just end up getting injured. I find that there's too much pressure. I'd be like what some sort of sponsored athlete doing this. Uh, it would just change the experience so yeah. drastically. Like I was just talking to random Siberian people on trains, drinking vodka with them, um, going to my next race, being sick as a dog. Like, like at the time, it really sucked. But now, like retrospectively, these are some of the experiences that have had probably the most impact on me. Mm. Like that I was out there alone and that was okay. You know, like it was like it drove me to talk to strangers mm. constantly and that created a broader experience for me, you know. So I don't think I could do it again. Uh, would I have done something else in subsequent years? I mean, yeah, I thought I was doing it when I was doing the UTMB and Marathon de Saab and Transalpine and all these other great races. Um, but at the end, like, I just like going to big events. You know, I had mates saying, hey, come with me and we'll run the, uh, we'll run the entire border of uh, Russia and China. Just the whole Russian border. Let's just do that. Like, how good would that be? You see, like, so many different things and you yeah. see the whole world changing around you. And I'm like, that's amazing, but I just don't want to do that. Like, that is not me, running across the country with one other person or solo or whatever. I just, I just like going to big events and being participating and getting the vibe from it and all that kind of stuff. Like, that makes me happy, you know? And I, I am not the person that's driven to beat my own record all the time. I'm just, I just, just doesn't, it's not me. I'm not actually very competitive at all. Like, you know, I kind of want to beat my mate when we're doing a session, you know, like doing a, a uh, some sprints and stuff like that, you know, and I've got my mates that we egg each other on when we're going to do like a marathon and who's going to get the best yeah. time. And, you know, then we have tequilas after and celebrate whoever wins, like whatever, like that makes me happy. Yeah. You know, that's fine. Yeah. Um, I set up a run group so I could see more of those people do more of those things so I could participate in their adventures. And that's awesome so do i want to go and do it all myself do i want to allocate a year of my life to do that stuff no yeah. i don't no yeah. <laughs> i want to stay with my family and my kids yeah That's yeah so it was a, it was perfect timing at the time i guess <clears throat> yeah 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 it was and you know i still want adventures you know my yeah. mate hit me up the other day and said let's go and do the jungle marathon in peru i'm like you know i absolutely want to go and do that yeah. i want to meet up with my canadian mate in peru and have a grand yeah. adventure with him absolutely want to do that um can you make that stuff happen these days i mean yeah i'll probably deserve it now because been locked down for so long i probably deserve <laughs> some sort of now. <laughs> i think so i think we all yeah. do <laughs> yeah how about you like how about you what kind of uh, events are you kind of working towards at the moment what are you well i'm i'm meant to be i'm hoping i was meant to do go to barclay again this year and of course wow. a week before yeah, I had to cancel that trip. So I'm planning on going next year, but that's March. Who knows? Who knows if I'll even get to the States then? I remember following, you know, it was really fun to kind of see how that played out. Like, how yeah. was that? How confronting was that as an adventure? It was really confronting because as you yourself, like when you hear about all these races and you think, oh, like that's for somebody else. And then you're there doing it. It's very, um, 
you know, it's, and it's hard. And, and I was, you know, doing a lot of travel at the time on my own as well. And I, I don't know how you find it, but I find traveling on my own quite stressful yeah. because you have to look after everything, all the details. Yeah. Yeah. You get, your brain starts to just kind of fade. Yeah. Uh, um, and it's not that you make mistakes as a result of that. It's just really tiring to communicate. Yes, um, I agree. It's exhausting. I, I wrote all these big blog posts in the first sort of three or four months of, you know, and they were like massive productions. So stupid. It was so dumb. If I had to put a photo up with a few words each day, it would add so much more meaning than me writing these stupid big posts, right? But I thought I was writing the content for a book. Yeah. You know, which was the idea. Like, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to just document it all and it's going to be great. And I'll have time because I'll just be traveling. So it won't be that yeah. hard. Oh my God. Like, after, especially when my mate left and I just had to do everything myself, all the bookings and all that kind of stuff, I just couldn't think anymore. Like, yeah. I just, my brain was just fuzz. And so I just kept taking photos and videos and just hoping that was enough to kind of in, in, in instruct the rest of my book. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and that's quite kind of why I was asking whether you did it on your own because I think that would have been, yeah, mentally tough uh, to do that. Yeah, but to be fair, that was the only thing I was doing that year. Yeah, I didn't but have still... It's pretty yeah. selfish, just like worried about me, where yeah. I'm going to stay, what I'm going to eat, what I'm going <laughs> to hang out with. Yeah, super, but it's, it's, super... it's still hard. And do you think you... um changed as a person and and really developed do you know what i mean in that year um i mean yes absolutely but so how so i'll put that back on you like in that in like by doing the barclays when you went there you had one thing in your mind like you know how you how i'm going to get through this i'm going to get through as many days as possible it's going to be challenging but i'm going to do it and then when you finish, you kind of had like a version of events, right? Mm. How did you feel three months later? Was it the same or different? Um, hmm. Well, from that, because it was just a one-off, not so much, but, but certainly I went and I lived in Canada for a year, you know, I just went and just lived there. And I find that changed me as a person because I had to go talk to people and get out of my comfort zone. And, and even at Barclay, I had to go out and talk to people and that. So... I, f I feel it did a bit, but yeah, it starts to wear off after a while. That's for sure. Well, I think, I think like a year later, yeah. like if you look at it and the way it impacted you and how you kind of adjust to what happened to you, I yeah. think it just takes time. Yes. So it's like you have like a permanent shift in the way you look at stuff, right? Because you've just changed your entire perception of the world. Um, and I feel like, I feel like I did a lot of talking about myself in the following couple of years. Like, yeah. and that's, you know, I don't know. I can talk about myself. I'm a pretty egotistical guy, right? Oh, you are, uh, really? <laughs> yeah. But I feel like after a few years, like, so the, I was writing my book for the following year. So I ran in 2010. I wrote my book in 2011. I wrote everything down. Like the, the publishers, Penguin and that, they were like, dude, like, you have to finish this book. And I'm like, well, I'm still writing. And they're like, we only asked for 80, 90,000 words. How many words you had? I'm like, I'm at 120,000 words, but I'm still going. And they're like, yeah, <laughs> stop. just finish it to stop. 
to stop it. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that. And they're like, well, give us your advance back. And I'm like, no worries. I'll transfer you the advance back. And they're like, we don't want the advance back. We want the damn book. Give us the book. Um, and I finished at 180 something thousand words. Right. So yeah, it was way over, but I wrote the whole book. And interestingly, I started doing speaking gigs for, you know, a couple of the speaker bureaus. And that was pretty cool. Like, it was really fun. Like, I was getting paid to show up and tell my story. It was a pretty cool story. I'm, you know, reasonably self-effacing as well. Like, I'll take the piss out of myself as much as possible to get people involved in my story. Um, And then as I was writing the book, I was telling these stories. And some of the stories would sit really well with people and others would just be blank faces, right? So I was using that to inform what I'd write in the book and then I'd come up with new stories in the book of things that had happened and then I'd chuck them in this talk and just to see if people kind of were interested. And I'm like, cool, now I know my story because I know what people are interested in. But then after I told my story again for the next few years, it changed slowly over time how I thought about myself and thought about the world that I live in and my place in it. And it took, I reckon the way I tell my story now is so different to the way I tell it then. And the way I view the world now is so different to the way I did 10 years ago. Maybe that's an age thing, but I also think it's just a reflection thing. You reflect on it, the experiences and events and how they impact you and what you thought about at the time. And now as I'm a bit older and I have my own kids and stuff like that, what I think, what I want them to think of me retrospectively. And I used to be so brash about it and now I'm not. I mean, like there's people that have done some of the most amazing adventures in the world, like, you know, around me, people that I know, like, and young runners that have become bold runners and incredible runners and people going to Barclays, like stuff that I think, wow, that's incredible. I don't yeah. think I could do it. Maybe I could. I don't know. That kind of stuff. Like, yeah. I committed enough to do that. I went back to Comrades and I took an hour off my time. Oh, awesome. Yeah, well, that was satisfying. I did like, you know, a bit over eight and a half hours and that was awesome. But did it make me a better person? Not necessarily. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? The adventure yeah. around it made it better. Yeah. People I hung out with and all that kind of stuff made it better. So, yeah. so yeah, I changed. I definitely changed. But I'm still changing. So Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's an ongoing process, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what would you say to people who um, want to do, you know, a big challenge, whatever it is for them, how would you um, motivate them, I guess, to, to actually get over that inertia and actually do it rather than constantly thinking about it, but actually doing it? Um, so I think you'll kind of respect this as well. Uh, and it, as the, the term actually came up again while I was listening to the, like the Rich Roll podcast the other day. Oh. And uh, analysis, analysis paralysis. Yes. Like any big adventure you have, you got to map it out, right? you yeah. got to kind of work out how it's going to happen and what you're going to do. It is so easy to just stop because it always sounds too big. Like it's yeah, too exactly. Much. Yeah. Um, I once again was in the ideal position at that time where I did not have a job. Like I had chosen not to have a job. Yeah. I had chosen to take, you know, take on this challenge and go down this path. And I had to just accept that I was not gonna stop until it was done. And if I stopped, it's because I was truly broke or broken. 
So it was one of those two things. Like I really hurt myself or I just did not have enough money to go forward, you know? Um, and that was it. That was the only two outcomes. So you're like, okay, I'm completely committed to this no matter what happens. Like, so it's one year, it's time boxed. No matter what happens, I'm going to get to the end of that year and I'm going to have an outcome. So I'm going to have some great stories and I finished it or I didn't finish it because I was broke and I'm going to come home and start again. And how absolutely incredible that we are Australian and just can come back to Australia and figure it out and start again, you know? Maybe less so in today's economy. (laughs) Um, But, you know, that's what I could do. And that's kind of what I did. I came back with this incredible story. How do people commit themselves to go in that path without stopping at all? Um, It's how you commit to any big race. Like, it's knowing that there's going to be an outcome but if you think about the entirety of that race that long you know like a Barclays or a 100k or a 100 mile or anything like that you think about the, the whole thing like you'll actually you your brain will freak out so how are you going to get to the best condition you can be and just get to the start line mm. don't worry about the rest of it like once you're racing it'll just figure itself out and that's probably the best lesson I've learned from ultra running and, and marathon running is like like, whatever happens on the day is going to happen. Like, there's so many factors involved that it's, I mean, you, you're screwed anyway, right? So <laughs> you may as well accept that and, uh, and just hope that the cards fall your way. Um, and i got to tell you, like, like, it did. I mean, there were so many reasons for that year to go wrong. I, was, I definitely got robbed. I got sick. Oh, I got, wow. You know, I ran out of money a couple of times. Um, like, you know, like the, you know, you wouldn't remember, but the volcano in Iceland went off and That's shut right. down all the, the airways between, uh, over the Atlantic. Yeah. And so people couldn't get to the London marathon. They got stuck That's in right. Singapore and places like that. People couldn't get to the Boston marathon. People couldn't get between those marathons. And in that month in April is like the London marathon, Paris marathon, Boston marathon. You know, I was going to the Czech Republic. I was going to Ireland to do a race. Like I was in that zone, you know, and every time I went to the airport, my plane took off. And after my plane took off, they shut the airport. Oh, wow. And then I get get to Boston and I'd land and they'd shut the airport. And then I came back a week later, fly out, and they opened the airport. My flight took off. They shut the airport. I'm like, wow. You know, and I am a religious person, like I said earlier, but I started looking up. (laughs) And this is amazing. So everything is going to be against you. Everything. But if you train yourself to accept that all the failures will happen, and on the off chance that you've done the work and you believe in yourself and you as in the best possible condition you can be um, and you put the work in and you know you put the work in, you get to that start line, you can at least believe that you deserve to be there. Yeah. You deserve it. You deserve this opportunity to succeed, you know? And that, I think, like, is a really empowering thing. Like, you know, we've all been to the start of a race half, half-assed, you yeah. know what I mean? Not quite prepped. And you know, there's a good chance this time it's not going to work out. And if you've got the mental fortitude, you'll make your body do it anyway. And I have, and you probably have as well. Like mm. It works out. But it's, you know, you know you, know you should do more of the work to get there. And, and I, I tend to be pretty good at that now, to do enough work to get myself to the start line and then just let the chips fall where they may. And if it turns out great, great. doesn't, like my UTMB, total disaster in my mind. But one of the greatest experiences I've ever had. It's not that I won't talk about UTMB because I failed. Yeah. I totally failed in my, my own mind as to how I did compared to what I wanted to do, compared to my capability at that time. 
Um, but what are you going to do? You know, yeah. not everything yeah. turns out. Big adventures, they're the greatest adventures, but you need to prepare to sacrifice and you need to recognise, I think, that it is a purely selfish thing to do. It doesn't matter how you attach yourself to the charity that you're going to raise money for or the people you're doing it for or your ideals around it. It is a purely selfish task that you're going to put yourself through this hurt mm. and look for glory to glorify yourself. And that's totally cool with me. Mm. Like that's actually why we're out there. We're looking for reasons to boost ourselves for positive affirmation of the person we want to become. So that's pretty cool if you can actually take the time to accept a little bit of selfishness now and again and go out and make it happen. Yeah, nothing, nothing wrong with that at all. <clears throat> and, and, and like you were saying, um, you know, when, if people are scared to do things because they might fail, well, like you said, some of the most difficult moments in, your, um, in that year were, well, they obviously make for the great stories and the, and the memories and that sort of thing. Hey, they are the, the I reckon the failures stick with you way more than the wins. Yeah, yeah. Because you learn more. That's you right. Exactly. You learn yeah. more. Like people that say it has to turn out a certain way. I mean, you're setting yourself up for failure because mm. it never turns out. So just you know, accept yeah. that it's going to be what it's going to be. Yeah. Now, just I, I forgot to ask: Did you get injured at all in that year? Yeah, but mostly strains. Oh. Um, you know, like so I didn't tear any muscles that year, but I feel like I hurt all of them um and uh you know like i you know i did like a a marathon um at a place called stavanger on the coast of norway on a saturday yeah. and then flew overnight to bornholm and ireland um like i flew actually down to copenhagen in denmark and uh that night the saturday night and got on a boat that took me overnight to a place called bornholm this island and I got picked up from the ferry and taken to the start of the race and basically had time to put my stuff in the back of the car and started running 100 kilometres around this full line. Yeah, oh my like, God. so I put myself under an incredible amount of pressure. And, and I only did that because I was like, how cool would it be to say you did that? Yeah. You know, like that's pretty epic. Like there's no way you should do that in the middle of running 52 marathons around the world. Like why add the pressure, you know? But it was cool. So, you know, like, I was like, oh, look what I did, guys. You wouldn't believe it. I did this next. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I got pretty beat up after that. Um, interestingly, in 2011, I tore both calves. So, oh. Yeah. yeah. Do you think maybe it was related to the previous year at all? 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I really had just smashed myself so, for so long. Yeah. Um, and I ran the marathon to Saab in, you know, in the first months of oh. 2011. So I kind of just kept it going. And yeah. then I just got it like a few times that following year I got injured. So. Yeah. yeah, so I didn't really tear anything. I got sick a lot. I got beat up a lot. I kind of wanted to stop heaps. I poked up my calves like all the time. I just had constant compression tape all over my calves because they hurt all the time. Um, but that's like getting on planes and getting off planes, right? You're constantly expanding those yeah, muscles. That's right. yeah. It just starts to ache. So. Yeah. Yeah. So what's, what's next for you? I mean, obviously you can't really plan anything at the moment, but you know, in an ideal world, you know, what are you hoping you can do next year? Yeah, look, I've got a bunch of, I always have two or three races booked 
Um, and I did so this year. So I kind of, that's my motivation. I'm very goal oriented. Uh, I work for a company called Shopify now. So it's an e-commerce uh, company Hi. and like, would know it. Um, it's a Canadian company. So I travel with them for work a lot until this year. So I was kind of piggybacking a bunch of races onto my travel with work, which sort of worked out, allowed me to do some international races. Mm. Uh, um, I can't do that. I, I had the, uh, I had the, Gold Coast Marathon booked and Melbourne Marathon and I was going to do the um, Melbourne Half Ironman. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it was, in, it was going to be in November. It's been cancelled. So all of that kind of stuff. Like, oh, yeah, I actually don't have a vision of what next year looks like. I would like to go and do the two, um, uh, the two bays race um, yeah. again as long as I, I kind of am not paying any money for races anymore until I get closer to them because yeah. <laughs> I just... I, I feel bad for the races, but I just kind of did it a few times this year already. And, you know, it's, it's, you're not yeah. sure if you can get your money. Yeah. Um, I would like to do at least one international race next year. All my mates were signed up to Chicago. So we had this running group run like crazy, which is yep. cool. And people might see it running around, but there's actually four clubs. So Mentone, Elwood, Brunswick, South Yarra. Um, and there's a lot of different people in there that go on personal adventures and, mm. you know, a lot of the guys were going to go to Chicago last year. A whole bunch went to um, New York last year and I couldn't go. So I wanted to go this year. I'd like to make it a trip next year because I'd really like to participate on one of those big mates, mm. you know, international adventures. And if I could go to the Jungle Marathon in Peru with my Canadian buddy, Brad, I'd definitely do that um, because I think it's time for me to have one of those disgustingly difficult adventures again. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard that one is really tough. Yeah, it's pretty gross. I think it really yeah. gets you up. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I want to go on Survivor. I think that. Yeah. Sorry? I mean, I'd love to do Barclays. I'd yeah. love to do Barclays. I, honestly, it just looks too hard to sign up. You kind of must have. That must have been really difficult to to get that sorted out, right? Was a hard Yeah, that was. I mean, yeah, it was um it was funny because like I'd been wanting to do Barclay for years and it was only when I went and lived in Canada that I met someone and knew someone who, you know, and if I hadn't gone to Canada, I would never have been able to get into Barclay because I wouldn't have met these people. So yeah. Yeah. Right. And yeah, isn't so. that the, the the fortuitousness of just, you know, going to putting yourself in new situations. Yeah. And all of a sudden, all of these cool things just start to evolve for you. Like, it's just wild. Yeah, that's, and that's, that's the thing. I think it's amazing. And, and that's why I think it's great to, to challenge yourself to do things. Because if you just stay within your, your own safety net, you don't get to experience. Like, you just, you don't know what the challenges will lead to. You just don't know. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I think, the greatest thing about that one year away is it just mm. opens lots and lots of doors for you. To yeah. just go and have more adventures and be the person I wanted to be. It's not afraid to, to, if someone asked me to come and have this adventure and go into a jungle marathon, oh yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, can I logistically make that work? It's not like, can I do it? Of course I can do it. Yeah. It's like, can I make it work? And that's the beauty of that kind of yeah. mindset. Is there's not much that you can't do. Cause the worst thing is it goes wrong and you don't finish. Like yeah. whatever. Like it's whatever. an adventure, yeah. it leads you into something else. That's right, right? exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. That was a really um, inspiring chat. And um, what I'll do is I'll um, <clears throat> put a link to your book in the show notes as well as to your run groups that people might be interested in joining once we can 
train in groups again? Well, I'll tell you what I have been doing, which I think has been sort of getting a bit of traction, is I, um, I finally got my butt into gear and set up an Instagram page. And so <laughs> it's just like underscore run like crazy. And, uh, and I've been posting sessions pretty oh, regularly, cool. like, like just run sessions as off the program that I use for our groups. Yep. And so like Tuesday, Thursday kind of speed and endurance sessions, Saturday long run, stuff like that. So if anyone wants to go and have a look and make a comment, you know, even give me some ideas for new sessions, I'd love that. I think that'd be really fun. I, I just kind of want to give back to the community, keep people running as well. Sounds brilliant. All right, well, I'll put a link to that, to that uh, Instagram page as well. All right. Well, thanks so much for the chat. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye. What a great story, hey? I really liked it that he was honest and didn't say that the whole trip was all rainbows and unicorns, that parts were actually quite difficult emotionally and physically. In spite of all that, it sounded epic. I sure hope it has inspired you to take hold of your dreams and to run with them. Pardon the pun. Not really. <laughs> have a great week of training and racing if you're lucky enough and have fun out there on the roads and trails. See you next time.